Well, Merry Christmas. This is the last Sunday we get to say that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, for those of you who might not have been here, um, I have taken down my Christmas tree. Um, for some of you, you're thinking, well, why wouldn't you have done that? But for others of you, you're thinking, no, it's only the 10th, 11th day of Christmas. How dare you take your Christmas tree down already? Um, the fact of the matter is, if it didn't come down today, it wasn't coming down till June. And so the Christmas tree is down, but we are still celebrating Christmas. And if I'm honest, I would tell you that that move did not go over real well in my house. My children know when Christmas is over. They know it's not over yet. And so the thought of taking it down was, was hard. They wanted to hang on to that, to hang on to that symbol of Christmas joy, that symbol of um, no school and family and fun. And so it took a little convincing, and it ended with a promise of ice cream. I'm not above bribing my children. And we got the tree down. But we still celebrate Christmas, and we will, and we'll celebrate um, the last day of Christmas and the Epiphany on Tuesday in my house. I think that's, that's important, and I would encourage you to do the same. Um, but it is sort of a weird time, right? Because we're still hanging on to Christmas, and, and I know it's not joyful for everybody, but for many people it is joy, and it's a time of setting, setting aside the day-to-day -day realities of life and being home with family, and even if you still have to work, is something about this season that, that is relaxing, um, reflective, makes us sometimes appreciate and be thankful, as Gary was saying in the prayers, and we want to hang on to that. But instead, we're moving forward, right? School starts tomorrow. Life begins afresh for many of us. And we're leaving behind something. And often there's a sense of mourning that, that, oh, if it could only be like Christmas all the time, but instead we go back to work tomorrow. And we move on with life, and then we will try again next year. And so on this last Sunday in the Christmas season, I want us to reflect on one point. Christmas isn't over. Christmas is and will always be. And Christmas, friends, changes everything. You can't go back to the way things have always been once you have met the incarnate Christ. Christmas changes everything. And so as we gaze into the abyss of a new year and new work and new deadlines and new bills, we don't let go of the reality of Christ, of God with us. He hasn't left us. He is God with us. Christmas changes everything. As we have in our reading this morning, these... Um, Magi, or Magi, I'm not sure which, is it Magi, John? We'll go with Magi. They, John's older, more experienced, wiser. Uh, we've got these Magi, these wise men, and they're from the east. They're not from China, but they're from probably somewhere in Iraq, Mesopotamia. They're at least moderately wealthy men. They have um, enough money to bring gifts to the newborn king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. They're likely priests, actually, but not Priests like me or Gary or John, not priests even like the Jewish priests, but they would be priests in another um, religion, 
a pagan religion, but nevertheless, these were men who were seeking the divine. And they were seeking him in the stars. So they were astrologists. Because of this, they spent much of their time gazing into heaven. And then one fateful night, they saw something different. Something strange out toward the Mediterranean Sea, out in the west. A star. Maybe it was out of place. Maybe it was just coming into an odd alignment with other stars. We don't know what it was. But something about this star that these men saw sent them on a long trek. A long journey. They pack their things. They venture out across the harsh Arabian desert. And they're seeking the king that this star represents. And so they get to Palestine and Jerusalem. And they track down the king of the area, Herod, king of the Jews. Surely he would know if a king had been born in his territory. And so they ask him, we're here to see the king of the Jews. I can imagine how that conversation went. Probably he said, well, you found him. They said, no, there's a newborn king of the Jews. And this troubled Herod greatly. He did not have a son, at least not a newborn one. And so they ask him, where is he, Herod? And Herod's here thinking all the time, I'm the king of the Jews. But in reality, he's not. He's a puppet king of the Roman government. He's more interested in himself and his wealth and his power and less interested in kingly things that Jewish kings were supposed to do, not the least of which was knowing his scripture. Where is the Messiah to be born? I don't, I don't know, but I'll ask. And so he asks his scribes and his chief priests, and he says, where is the Messiah to be born? And they consult their scriptures, and they answer, in Bethlehem. Now, if you were a scribe or a chief priest and you were really seeking God and someone said the Messiah is supposedly born and he's in Bethlehem, you're going to go see him. But they don't. They stay in Jerusalem. And Herod informs the Magi of where this king is. that He's in Bethlehem. And, and the wise men, they mount their camels and they head off. And on the way out, Herod says, by the way, Come back by here after you meet him so that I can go and worship him as well. He's a sly man, this Herod. The Magi journey on. The star comes to rest over a lowly stable in Bethlehem. And there they see him, king of the Jews with his mother Mary in a manger. And I love this phrase. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. How do you do that? I know what, I can rejoice and I know what joy is, but to rejoice with exceedingly great joy at the, the sight of a child in a manger, it is only by God alone, that, God alone that you can rejoice like that. And so they fall down and they worship him and they open up their treasures to him, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then the God of the Jews, the God who is also somehow this child, reveals himself yet again to these pagan men, or perhaps at this point they're not so pagan. 
And they said, don't go back to Herod. Go home another way. And they left. And we've never heard from them again. Imagine their lives. What must have changed for these men? We'll come back to that. Christmas changes everything. And we see that in our reading this morning. A couple observations about this. The first thing we see is Jesus, he's not only the king of the Jews, but he's the fulfillment of God's whole promise to the world. We see it in this reading. It's like a preview of the rest of Matthew's gospel. Time and time again, this plays out that Jesus is king of the Jews, but also Lord of the universe. Jesus is the Messiah of Israel, but he's also the Savior for all peoples, including you, including me. And we reach way back into Genesis 12 when God makes a covenant with Abraham and he says, your offspring will be a great nation. They will be a light to all the nations. They will be a blessing to all people. And here we have this child born in a manger with these men from far off, Gentiles, and they're some of the very first people to worship Jesus. The priests didn't come. The religious leaders didn't come. The king didn't come. But the Gentiles came. Jesus, a blessing to all people. And because this is true, okay, Because Jesus is the king, because he's fulfilling these promises of God, because he is your Lord, perhaps whether you like it or not, he is a threat to your way of life. We don't often think of Jesus in these terms. We want him to be warm and cuddly, and and, and I think he is to an extent, but he's also a threat. He is a threat. He will change you. He has to change you. He was a threat to Herod, right? A threat to his kingship, a threat to his status, a threat to his power. If this child grows up and starts leading some sort of rebellion, you know, that might upset the Romans. They might not let me be king anymore. It might upset the people. They might not let me be king anymore. Jesus was a threat to Herod. He was a threat to the priests, to the Levites, to the religious leaders. They had a certain status and power about them. Often it was a moral power. They were held in high esteem by the people of Israel because they were so great and so good. If there's a new king, that's, everything's going to change. And as we see in Matthew's gospel, they, that was not okay with them. They rejected that. They rebelled against that. Jesus was a threat to them. And honestly, he was a threat to the wise men. They had a life, probably a good life. They were priests in another country, a very wealthy area of the world. Jesus is a threat to that. When you get down on your knees to worship somebody else, he is a threat to your way of life. And yet they accepted that. They embraced that. And they welcomed that. And so they worshipped him. They rejoiced at his coming. And they gave him gifts. 
And I can only imagine that they left Bethlehem proclaiming this great thing that they had seen, this wonderful child, this promise of God. Something big, something important, something that would make this world never the same again. Did they know? Did they understand? Not at a time. But there's something different. Christmas changes everything. 1914, towards the beginning of World War I, a curious thing happened on Christmas Eve. These soldiers who had been fighting relentlessly laid down their arms. These men in trenches less than 100 yards apart put aside their ammunitions for two days. Part of this was for humanitarian reasons. It was Christmas time, of course, and they thought they, they might take some time to go out into the, um, the dead man zone there in the middle and recover the dead and bury them. But it ended up also being a time in many of these um, theaters of war, a time of fellowship, exchanging of gifts and souvenirs. Some of these men shared a meal. There's an account, it's disputed, but at least an account that there was enough goodwill that they actually participated in a friendly soccer match. One soldier would write this of this great Christmas truce. It is a great hope for future peace when two great nations hating each other as foes have seldom hated should on Christmas Day lay down their arms, exchange smokes, and wish each other happiness. What an enduring image, these soldiers laying aside their arms, laying aside their commitments, and joining each other in the celebration of Christmas. An enduring image indeed, but not a lasting one. The alarm went out about midnight, and we stood up till daybreak, when we found that our pals of the previous two days had tried to rush our position, but they got cut up as usual. And I believe the next morning, the ground where we had been so chummy and where Germans had wished us a Merry Christmas was now covered with their dead. Is this what's to become of Christmas, friends? Is it just a day? Is it just... 12 days, no matter how you slice it, is it just a very small part of our year, of our lives, and now things return to the way they've always been? Or does Christmas change everything? That's the challenge of Jesus' birth and eventually his death and resurrection. Things cannot go back to normal. If Jesus is the fulfillment of the promises of God, if he's the King of kings and Lords of Lord, Lord of lords, then things must change. Our way of life must be threatened. And for many of us, this is a cause for mourning. There's much about this life we don't like, but there's a lot of things we do. There's a lot of things that provide us comfort. Even unhealthy things that we know are harming us somehow make us feel good about ourselves. And for others of us, to know Jesus is a threat to very much wealth, very high status, a lot of power. 
And so when we meet Jesus, we, we, on some levels, all of us have to mourn these things. But can we see in this child a hope that is enduring? Not a temporary one, not a one that ends the next day, but an enduring hope. My favorite poem is The Journey of the Magi by T.S. Eliot. I read it to you every year, by the way. We, this is the voice of one of the wise men reflecting. This is not in the Bible, but this is, is really, it's rich. We had evidence and no doubt. I had seen birth and death, but thought that they were different. But this birth was hard and bitter agony for us, like death, our death. We returned to our places, these kingdoms, but no longer at ease here in the old dispensation with an alien people clutching their gods. I should be glad of another death. They saw in this child something that changed everything. That they could not go back and be the same. Do you see it? In this babe in a manger, this child will grow and he will give his life for you and for me that we might know the love and the grace of God. And friends, he's been raised from the dead. And while he is with us, he also sits at the right hand of God. And one day, every tribe, every tongue, every nation will be brought under his lordship. And things will never be the same. Have you realized that? Do you know that? And as we close out Christmas, can we look ahead? Not looking ahead to returning to the way things were, but striving and God willing by the power of the Holy Spirit, grasping for the way that things might be, the way that things will be one day when there's no more sin, no more death, no more tears, but all the time rejoicing with exceedingly great joy. Let us pray. Lord, what a gift you have given us in the story of these wise men who saw you and realized that things will never be the same again. May we, like them, realize this as well. May our lives be forever changed by the birth of your Son. May they be redeemed by his death and resurrection. We ask this in his holy and precious name. Amen. Please stand.